Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world and in other parts of the universe, you know what time it is. It's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast. I'm your host, Larry Charles, and I couldn't find Brandon Fam this week. I don't know where he is, but I found his twin brother, Mr. Brandon Fam. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, please welcome our special guest this week, Dan Burke. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> how's it going, Dan? <laughs> You may hear different voices. Sorry, I have a penchant for accents. No, it's all right. It's uh, it's it's a talent, I would say for sure. Because uh, I've I've seen some of your uh, you know, your hangout sessions. You become like eight or nine different characters and have conversations even <laughs> with yourself. Sometimes he's quite the that's, artist. That's useful kind of for slimy. us. You can come back yeah. <laughs> seven different times. <laughs> that's seven yeah. episodes right there. Yeah, I read the book Sybil, and I've never been the same since. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah. So just so the audience knows, uh, Dan and I are actually good friends, and we have actually never met in person, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Dan has been an artist in the video game industry since Nintendo, the like the original NES Entertainment System. I remember talking to him about this. His first game was a cartridge-based Nintendo game, so we're talking an OG in the game. This is history that we're going to go through in this episode. So Dan, why don't you take us a little bit through your career and what got you into making video games? Well, thanks, Larry. So, uh, well, I was at community college as uh, an artist there on, at the Saddleback uh, College Lariat, and I met a staff writer, Leo Leo Gilry, and I don't know if I should name names. It's already out there. Uh, Leo was a cool guy, so I was just doing my editorial cartoons and, and getting my chops down there, doing a comic strip, strip every week, and uh, Larry's like, hey, I know a guy, or no, Leo's like, I know a dude who's doing Nintendo games. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, so I met with a guy, uh, Frank Wong, at a roundtable pizza, no less, in the mall. And uh, over some Coke and garlic bread, he told me about this whole deal, and it was legit. And uh, I was like, okay. So I decided to team up with uh, Frank, and Leo stayed on as a writer for the first game. So I went to my job at Sterling Art in Irvine, where you are now, Larry, Irvine. And uh, good old Irvine, I went and, and I was like, okay, I told my boss, look, I have a, an opportunity to do Nintendo games. And he's like, well, if you don't do it, I'm going to fire you. I'm like, don't worry, I'm going to quit. I'm going to do it. I'm just letting you down easy, you know? Uh, yeah. So I just did it. And, uh, you know, we got our first assignment and that was for Raid 2020. Now, a lot of people slam the game and, you know, they have every right to do that. There, were, there was a lot wrong with the game, but it was our first effort and there was a lot of changes that we didn't agree with. But uh, the fact is, we made a game we were proud of. And, of course, the whole publishing side uh, does what it does. But um, it was our first effort and uh, been doing it ever since. That was 1989 that was published. Ooh, man. <laughs> How does it feel it's, to be part of every console generation? Like, yep, I was. Um, this is me. This is my... Like, I was here well, since it started, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> well, back then, it was like, wow, what an opportunity. I had no idea what would what would come of it. Mm-hmm. And I had high hopes, of course, and I just 
laid everything on the line, just stopped everything, just did that 100% with Frank. And these, you know, a couple of people loaned me money because I was broke as F, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can curse on the show, but yeah, I bought yeah, it. It's completely. Um, okay. It's raw. Fuck yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you guys the royalty situation. I had 53 cents in the bank when I got that $10,000 check Ooh. against royalties. And this was like I was 20 years old, 89, maybe by the time I got the check, it was 90. Oh, man. And uh, I, I was just a dude making, you know, just above minimum wage at an art store. And that was sort of my introduction. And it was a crazy time. Like nowadays, there's a lot of competition, as you guys are well aware. And, uh, um, you know, you can go to schools for all this stuff, which is awesome. I think that's a great thing for artists to be able to go to a design school and, and learn their craft, uh, an artist or designer or programmer. Um, but back then it was kind of wild and wooly, you know, the old West of, of video games. So anyway, yeah, we get that first check and Frank and I were like, what the F? Frank had actually quit his job at Unisys. He actually had a real job. And, uh, so like his wife loaned me a little money and my dad's stepmom and it was crazy. And I just, it was all in, you know, but yeah, that was good. So in 1989, having 53 cents in your bank account sucks, but (laughs) Having ten thousand dollars come to you in nineteen eighty nine money is like balling. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite a contrast if yeah. you're some of contrasts and and yeah, and fifty three cents back then, of course you could buy a car with that. No, just kidding. <laughs> Little exaggeration, but you can at least buy two candy bars and have three cents left over, right? Yeah, seriously. You could buy a soda for twenty five cents and you'd have enough yeah. money for like five bazooka joes and like two penny candies. Exactly. Like you could actually buy a few things back then at 53 cents. But yeah, so that was our introduction and it was really crazy. And, uh, and then later on color dreams asked me, this was really nuts. But after that, our first game, they were like, Hey Dan, why don't you work with, well, let me explain that. Dan Lawton is the guy who I worked with and Dan's brother, uh, JF Lawton is the one who wrote the screenplay to under siege and pretty woman. And Dan Lawton reverse engineered the Nintendo, made all of our jobs possible. And uh, all of this is in the book Bible Adventures by Gabe Durham, mm-hmm. where he he interviewed me at length, as well as uh, some other players in the early Color Dreams Wisdom Tree world. So anyway, Dan's like, hey, Dan, come work with us uh, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. That's in your contract. You have to work that much. And then we'll just put you to work for a few months uh, churning out art for games that we're just going to flood the market with as color dreams, you know, seven days a week, 12 hour days. Yeah. That was like mandated. Oh man. And, but the pay was ridiculous. It was like five fifty five a day. They paid me. And I, so I'm only talking about numbers cause it was so stupid and unrealistic. Yeah. No way I wouldn't talk about that, but I'm just letting you know how ridiculous this was. How crazy, crazy. Awesome. And so I did that. And, uh, and that was, nuts and then uh you know enjoyed it while it lasted and and Mm -hmm. we made a bunch of games and i got to design one of my own games and do the art and and that was challenge of the dragon that was i think my best game at color dreams oh wow um but yeah fun time man fun time crazy just random question here do you still have any copies of like your original games like at your house like oh yeah you know, these are my trophies. Oh, you guys can't see, but he's like reaching off camera to grab. <laughs> it was like five feet away. His, his... Great 2020. <laughs> nice. Yes. Signed. Wow, still in box too. And yeah, Robo Demons. And then you can you, yeah. can you can see it signed. You know, I got some art on the back of that. It's still and shiny. Then, yeah. <laughs> Challenge of the Dragon. 
This oh, is wow. an open box, and it's got my name right there on the back. You probably can't see it, but that's all right. I see. Actually, I sold this on eBay for five hundred bucks, the wrapped version, which is I didn't expect that. It was there were stupid prices on these games. I don't know why yeah. that is. I think it's you know. So Color Dreams took a lot of heat, and for good reason. Uh, they basically reverse engineered the Nintendo, which itself was quite a feat because there were two companies at that time that did this. There was Tengen, mm. who got sued by Nintendo, yeah. and Color Dreams, who did not get sued or not successfully so because the way they uh, bypassed the lockout chip was clever and apparently legal. So um, so Color Dreams were just spitting out games, making fast money, but their games were not great quality because they were just spitting them out really quickly. And yet, but people like me were able to cut our teeth, so I was mm-hmm. glad for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, go ahead, Brennan. Was there a community of Western developers at that time that you were a part of? or Like, I, I imagine in the, during the Nintendo days, I just see a lot of Japanese. <laughs> oh, were there, were like, Asian developers, Western developers? I mean... Yeah, just, like, uh, like what was the game industry like at that time was you you mentioned the wild the wild west but was there oh. communities that get together is like i know nowadays we have gdc and all these things but were, were there something like that back then i hear what you're saying so it was just how do i explain it it's like the very early days of the industry even before that time where it was just random people almost like the early days of atari if you guys have seen those documentaries on netflix mm-hmm. Um, and I met one of those developers, just crazy, like hippie dudes, you know, people that don't wear shoes, like just people that kind of live by their own rules basically, and are willing to take the risk of getting into this early field and super brilliant people, but, uh, just a very odd mix of characters. Um, no real standardization to it. Um, yeah. So just, (laughs) just very, uh, one, some of the people were actually homeless living in the parking lot and Dan Lawton sort of took them in. And uh, and he had them. He put them to work on a game. It was really funny. Uh, so and they were they were cool people actually. Um, the thing is, we would talk to each other like when we weren't working, of course, as you do at a game company. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just talked about everything under the sun. So that was kind of fun too. Just you know, yeah. challenging each other mentally as well as within the uh, development cycle. Wow, that's. I got to give the guy credit. If you just open the door and you're like, "Hey, Stinky Jim, like, come in. I'm gonna show you how to <laughs> show you how to like cut some sprites." That's that's well, pretty cool, man. All I hear, Larry, is that we have a bunch of interns out there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's that's creating jobs. That's yeah. giving people who don't have opportunities opportunities. You got to look at the bright side, right? Sure, yeah. the office may smell a little different, but well, I mean, you're, I'm you're sure changing the, lives, Brandon. You're changing you're, lives. Oh, here's the funny part. Game developers probably still smell the same. Actually, you're right. <laughs> true, true. You're right. One out of every and, 10 game developers has not heard of showering or soap or deodorant. One of those three items they don't know about. I swear to and, God, I'm not joking. It, yeah, it yeah feels pick two, bad. right? It, 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 the ratio feels that bad. Oh, man. It, you still, yeah, you still get a little bit of that. It yeah. seems like, uh, I don't know if it's more programmers or artists. Probably more programmers, I'm mm-hmm. guessing, but just from what I have encountered... But, uh, yeah, it was just a crazy time. Yeah. Uh, interesting characters. One of the guys, Jim Muir, Meyer, um, I would always imitate him. He was a funny guy. He was actually one of the early developers with us working on a game called Baby Boomer. And, uh, <laughs> and he, when he was describing his game, he's like, oh, yeah, we've got rats and bats and spiders. And that's exactly how he sounded. Okay. And I'm like, 
the F. <laughs> so, so I was always walking around. I was always, always walking around the office going, oh, yeah, guys, we've got rats and bats and spiders. And, you know, just, I don't know. We just we had fun. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, get on, don't get on his bad side because he will have people in stitches doing your voice. Did you ever, right. Okay, so let's go off topic for a second. Did you ever think about doing any voice acting, by the way? Because I think I've heard you do, like, with a high level of accuracy, probably like 10 or 11 different famous voices. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, I have thought about it. I've had many people recommend it. Mm. And uh, I'm not sure how to get into it. I guess I haven't tried seriously. Okay. But uh, at some point, I'll probably make an online portfolio mm. of different voices and uh, and just, you know, find an agent and see what happens. Okay. or. Have you I mean, never did, all- did any stand-ins for, for any games that you worked in? No, I've never done a voiceover for a game. I did try out for the, the Blizzard stuff, but my nerves were terrible, and I oh. I choked. I did terribly. I never I couldn't. Yeah, I didn't get the gig. So. Dude, all you got to say is, look Taroga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I met the guy who did all the Warcraft, you know, the org voices oh, and yeah. the Warcraft, or just all the, like, yeah. the peon voices. Yeah. I think his name is Stu. Okay. So he just went through everything and we're like cracking up, you know. That's awesome. And it was funny because it was an intern there uh, named Britt Snyder, awesome artist. And I remember he was a Maya guy. He came into the office and we shared an office, you know, when we're all Max there at the time. Mm. And uh, he's like, oh, hi, Dan. Um, uh, I have a question. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. He's like, um, yeah. Uh, how do I make a box? <laughs> like, <what? laughs> this is the problem when you go from Max to Maya or vice versa. Maya to Max is like, oh yeah, I'm I'm having trouble with primitives. Like, oh god, you have a lot to learn, buddy. Oh man, that's get, get out of here, kid. Dude, that's that's the first <laughs> tutorial you get in a 3D package, right? Like that right? is that is literally once you learn the interface, the first thing they say is primitives box. Like yeah. that's, whew. yeah, okay. Click. And I, I laugh so hard because it sort of describes me when I'm in Maya, you know, even mm-hmm. though I've used Maya in my career. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm still like, how do I detach the freaking face? Uh, <laughs> it's all, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah okay. I know. Brandon, Brandon probably knows better than I do. but Of course, both of you guys. I'm just going to nod my head like, yeah, man, I hate when that shit happens. <laughs> totally. Brandon, are you a Maya guy or a Max guy or both? I've used both before in my career. so That's, yeah. What do you prefer, if any? So well, right now I've been using yeah. <laughs> uh, lately I've oh, been no. using Maya for for work, so I just okay. stick to that. Yeah, I don't tend to switch unless professionally I have to switch because it it is kind of like bonkers to go back and forth all the time. It really is, yeah. And then you, if you buy one version at home, you get used to that, then you pay four grand for a seat. And uh, and then they're like, we use Moto. And like, oh. <laughs> and, Moto. <laughs> and people are like, oh, because it does the same thing. You know, it's easy to learn. But no, uh, it's like. I'm going to stick up so all these cool. programs that are like kind of doing the same thing, but they can't decide which one to pick. <laughs> Unbox a ZBrush. Mudbox a ZBrush. Yeah. Thankfully, one of those kind of won out. But still. Yeah, Mudbox kind of died. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Are they are they gone right now or? I think no, it's owned Autodesk. by Autodesk. Yeah, Autodesk owns them now. Well, the thing is, Max and oh, okay. Maya is owned by well, pretty much everyone's owned by Autodesk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's funny well, how they still pick make people choose. <laughs> I'm so thankful own. that that it was Autodesk that won that battle, you know, and yeah. and now you can sort of switch back and forth, and I could get super geeky here in a sec, but we could definitely talk shop <laughs> about <laughs> this stuff. 
No, guys, feel free. I'm going to go make some sandwiches or something. (laughs) (laughs) You guys take over. The designer is getting bored. (laughs) No, no, no. No, honestly, if you want to go in-depth on some real stuff, please, the audience will benefit from it. Well, like, there's one thing that I do want to ask you, kind of going back to what you were saying. When you were describing your 1989, like, era of game, of the game industry, it kind of reminds me of what we're going through right now with the indie crowd. I mean, what are your thoughts of how we're kind of circling back to to the golden era video games I've noticed that. You mean with like the retro style gaming yeah, pixels? Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, I love it. First of all, I love the look. It just reminds me of that time period. And I think there's a simplicity to it. Like there's something about human happiness when you narrow human choice. People are happier because the sheer amount of choices we have can overwhelm us. Let's go back to Max and Maya, talk about choice again. Whoa, so many buttons. Uh. <laughs> but... <laughs> When you narrow that focus, oh, man, it, there's some about it which allows your brain to fill in the gaps, you know. And uh, there's an appeal there, you know. And plus it, it forces you to focus on gameplay, which, of course, was king before all these graphics were uh, – before people could really rely on graphics. And, it's, you know, you still had bad games even when graphics sucked. But uh, I, I think it's interesting. You know, it's fun. It definitely fills a niche. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely – it's helpful to just get the tools out of the way and just get to the creative part. Yeah. What do you think about it, Brandon? No, I, I feel the, the same way. I oh, feel exactly awesome. the same way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that we're kind of tying everything together, that mm. anyone who wants to make a game have choices. Yeah. They can go super high end. They can go retro. But uh, it's, it's also funny that Nintendo doesn't get any credit. <laughs> Like, they fathered this, they kind of pioneered this, and a lot of the games are, like, kind of going back to their games. But, like, they, they're they so, like, on the sidelines with, with yeah. all this stuff. So, me personally, I am actually very, very happy with where video gaming is right now in this present moment. Because we still have consoles, we still have AAA games, we still have the mid-level games, even though you don't really see a lot of the console mid-level games, they still exist on Steam. And then now mobile slash handheld gaming. And I, I kind of throw those together because I, I hate to say it, but like the handheld is kind of dying and mobile is just exploding. But like, I feel like the experiences are kind of similar in a lot of ways, but anybody who's anybody can get their hands on gaming content today. And I'm just very, very happy because the things that I loved as a kid still exist, but the new ways to game and like VR is actually getting adopted and that's coming out too. Like if there was ever a time in the game industry to be alive and be a gamer, it would be now baby. Like we're doing every freaking thing. We have a game on freaking refrigerators. There's smart refrigerators that have games and like televisions have game systems built in and your iPad is a gaming system. Your watch is a gaming system. Like I'm so happy that we're no longer the, like the nerd geek in the corner who's enjoying like street fighter. We're now regular people, so to speak. That's true. You know, I think casual gaming or mobile gaming is really drawn in a lot of the female gamers, even though there's some playing triple A's as well or consoles, but it's, no matter what your level, casual, serious, whatever, uh, it's like wow language right now. But mm-hmm. you can, you, you're, you're right. Gaming is utterly accessible to everybody and ubiquitous. And the other thing is, it, there's a huge amount of jobs being generated from all these mobile games, yeah. which mm-hmm. is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I love that. Game developers don't have to be bums. Now we can take yeah. the bums and make them to the developers again. <laughs> and apparently, if you're a bum, you can still get a job. Damn, yeah. it. <laughs> no, not a, they're not. They're not. They're just 
Yeah. So what you're saying is, if I, you know, just sleep and camp out in front of Blizzard's headquarters, (laughs) they're going to give me a job, right? They're going to need someone. Yeah. Eventually. No, you can't do that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And and the thing is about the AAA is the budgets are so huge. So the nice thing about these these retro games is they're reducing the the art budget by Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a look to it and it's awesome and there's novelty, it literally takes less time to develop, right? So you get kind of two birds, of, uh, you get two benefits there. Mm-hmm. So you have faster turnaround there, and you can still have a really fun game with everything, uh, all the gameplay that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really do feel it's maturing. Like it's not all about the next biggest and best thing, uh, as far as like budget and, and graphics. It's mm-hmm. like let's get to the fun fundamentals of, of what a game should be. In. It's the it's fun, fun mentals. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he went there. But it's, Somewhere Lori Jennifer is like, okay, that's an inside joke. But yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a moto vlogger. She loves her puns. So. Well, yeah. maybe she'll hear this episode and I'll be like, fast forward to the 20 minute mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So, oh, Brandon, go ahead. So, like, uh, so let's walk us through like the the first transition. So from 1989, um, that phase, where, where did you uh, end up going? Okay, so after Color Dreams um, and that whole thing, I went to where did I go after that? Minecraft. So I did a test. This is my first test. I did a test for Minecraft. And Minecraft, as you, it, not Minecraft, but Minecraft. Yeah, thank you for uh, People are going to be like, wait, like, what? what? I keep forgetting. There's, it sounds just like it. Especially I think this guy is lying. Notch, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Minecraft. What? You're lying, obviously. It didn't exist until blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, Minecraft. So Minecraft was, they were famous uh, for Magic Handle. That was Ali Adebek, was the founder of that company. Turkish origin, super awesome guy to work for. And uh, the founders of Treyarch actually worked there, both of them. Oh, wow. And this is crazy trivia we didn't talk about before the show. But, yeah, this was Don Likeness and Peter Aikman. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, they were the founders of Treyarch. And, actually, Ollie helped set them up uh, to start that company. And I believe their first game was Die by the Sword, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, some nerd will correct me if I'm wrong. That's okay. I'm pretty sure that's right. But anyway, those guys were cool. And even weirder, Don Likeness sat behind me in uh, geometry class in high school. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> like, Don, Don didn't talk a lot, but, you know, I borrowed paper occasionally. And I'm like, thanks, man. He'd be like, oh. you know, barely a sound. I'm like, like the Forrest Gump of the game industry. Yeah, like, you just came across all oh, these dude, I know. awesome oh, celebrities. <laughs> so funny how many people I know, you know. All right. So just to jump in, yeah. I looked it up. And according to Wikipedia, Die by the Sword and Olympic Hockey – both came out in 1998, and I don't know which one to give credit for being first. So, but it's, okay, uh, it's, I don't, I don't remember the hockey one, but I guess I don't focus on hockey games. Sure, yeah, it says "Die by the Sword" and Olympic Hockey Nagano, 1998. Okay. All right, so not wrong. Yay. Yeah, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was cool. So Minecraft was uh, was all PC, and it was all hand drawn, mouse driven graphics. No way come yet. Mm. And uh, I worked on like Siege. And many other games. Siege actually was the inspiration, one of the inspirations for uh, Warcraft, the original Warcraft, yeah. uh, which was relayed to me by Mark Kern and my was an interview because he found out I worked on that and he mentioned that by name. And I'm like, what? What? Because you know, yeah. uh, Siege was kind of like early turn-based uh, game, similar to what Warcraft did, hell of a lot better. <laughs> but Siege was good. It was a good game for its time. 
Uh, and that was Patrick Hughes that worked on that as a programmer. Um, so Minecraft was awesome, but yeah, I had to actually do a test in D paint mm-hmm. or deluxe paint as they call it, not deep paint. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, watch how I say things. Cause there's so many things that sound alike, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, Minecraft was awesome. And, uh, it was a little crazy there too. A uh, little cube fridge full of drinks, you know, and Ollie was just a cool dude. And he let Robert and I have a lot of autonomy when we worked on our games, you know, uh, mercenary strike squad and, mm-hmm and others so that was cool we were trying to do like a turn-based strategy game with you know a squad and uh something really cool but the problem with minecraft is you know they would sometimes release games too early for budgetary issues and this Uh. is a common theme we always fight against this in the game biz you guys know where you know you want it to be good like the blizzard style like you don't release it till it's ready and other companies do this as well other quality companies versus uh oh my god it's got to go out because we're out of money you know (laughs) and that creates this horrible cycle of of well failure to put it bluntly which is going to kill you anyway Mm -hmm. so you may as well you know get it done right but anyway that was a frustrating thing because we had these big ideas and maybe they should have been smaller ideas so that's another thing to look at but it was fun i mean do you feel over the years that part has gotten better just uh, yes, I do. I oh, think it's kind of... first question. Uh, yeah. Do you like producers or not? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Okay. You're what not, you're not helping us here. Which one more? Is it more yes or more no? If you had to uh, lean towards the side. I'm talking about 24 like... years of analysis here, so you're probably. <laughs> 27, of all the producers, 27, 27 years. That's okay, man. Um, I actually do like producers, and my goal is always to like everyone I work with. But producers, you know, they gotta they gotta do the ugly job of coming in with their clipboard saying, "Yeah." So you know the whole uh, lumber <laughs> lumber, yeah, yeah. So uh, we're gonna need you to go ahead and uh, get this asset done by yesterday, little <laughs> <Adam> Sandler. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I like producers if they're cool. You know, some people are not great managers and maybe they should be managers. And, you know, you always got to pick your battles in life, in work especially. You know, when it's your job, you got to stay pro and, and uh, you know, just handle yourself, you know, professionally. But try to like mostly. All right. That works for me. I like that answer. Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I'm just tallying up the marks. Well, it's it's interesting How that we ask that? you because actually, I think you were in the industry before producers were actually known as producers in the industry. So Dang. you're probably yes. the perfect person to ask. Um, do you see the immediate benefit of the role, considering that you know you had a team of artists and designers, and maybe you know uh, I don't know somebody with money who was like, hey, let's make this game company. Versus now, you obviously have very, very specific, you know, disciplines and roles and responsibilities for each level. You know, uh, which of the two do you think was the most fun to work for? Just fun. Like, did you enjoy the most, I guess? This this is an easy answer for me. Fewer people were in my way is better. Mm-hmm. Fewer middle managers, fewer people with clipboards is better. Um, as long as we have a clear goal of when we need to release the game or at least get into alpha, beta, etc. Lucky's Ralph's, just kidding. Um, some of you will get that joke <laughs> if you're old. Uh, but yeah, I, of course, you know, I'm kind of right-brained with a technical side as well. I prefer fewer people involved. Um, if the person isn't 
a creative type directly and they're just there to talk about schedule, you know, that's fine. I understand that needs to be done, but it's more fun the other way when you know what you have to do and you're just, you're on it. And Mm -hmm. even if you have to stay the weekend, you're going to get it done as task based, not, you know, uh, hourly based or anything like that, obviously. So yeah, I prefer the old way. And I, and we got stuff done, you know, we got it done. It's all about having that, uh, that vision in, in the correct scope so you can get it done well and in time on budget. Gotcha. I like that. What do you guys think about producers? I feel like there's an opinion. Lurking. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> so this, like this B storyline has kind of been building up over the, the year that we've been doing this podcast. So I'll just go ahead and say it. Brandon thinks that the, the Brandon thinks that game development is just fine without production. He says that if everyone is like leading their team, like the lead artist is managing his artists and the lead designer is managing his designers, if they take on those responsibilities of project management, that having someone who just shows up not to do actual asset generation or game development and just poke other people to do work, and maybe I shouldn't put words in Brandon's mouth because <laughs> it may not come out the way that he would say it, but basically he's saying that we can do it without them. I, on the so other can. hand... <laughs> Sometimes I, on the other hand, uh, I got my first job in production in the game industry. I worked with talented producers and I know exactly the kind of situations that we would look at on paper and deal with that. I'd be like, there's no way I would want the people making this game to actually know this information or like have to deal with that on top of getting the, you know, the game done. Like, it's great that we were the ones who were handling the, like the, Oh shit, this is not going to work. And then we go and solve that problem while everyone who was in the room making the game and making the assets didn't even know. And I hate that I'm saying it like we're hiding stuff, but like, it's just, I I can see that there have been times where it's like, Oh man, we have a problem that we need to deal with, but we don't want the team to like stop what they're doing because they're, they're going to start thinking about this problem. No one's going to work. So I hate to say it, but like I can see the benefit from since I was on the other side and I saw how these top level guys were working and how they were problem solving and keeping the team, you know, I guess motivated and without issue. So, yeah, yeah. I think my most of my problem, uh, I've had good producers and I I also see Larry's point, right? Uh, The the benefits of having a good one. I think my issue is that. there's really not a clear road where these managers are coming from, mm. <laughs> right? And I think a lot of it is that, you know, an opportunity came and they stepped up to the plate, but without the necessities to to be able to manage a team of, of a, usually a bigger size, right? We need producers at, on big teams. Yeah. I think we have to because uh, otherwise the wheels are turning and you tell one person to stop to, to, to look at the schedule, it, it kind of falls apart. So I think there is certainly a role for a producer it's just the the production of producers <laughs> it feels like it's so off sometimes it's like there's no one school of producers that are legitimately pr- producing producers yeah. in a way that we uh most of the time are, are are useful at least in my experience like i've had too many bad producers to be saying like we're doing things right like these guys are coming from the right place yeah. so i think if anything i want to like take a focus on what, what's going on where how come we're we're not ninety nine percent awesome yeah. 
yeah. when it comes to producers. What's interesting to me is I like the idea of a producer who comes from the trenches. Like the animation producer is someone who knows how to animate, who has animated on games before, who knows the steps, knows the processes and the pipelines. Because one, they're the first person who gets lied to, right? Yeah. When yeah. the producer comes in the room is like, hey, you know, how long until we get this done? Because we've got this other department that's waiting on this asset. Nine weeks. He's the first person that gets lied to. And he yeah. or she needs to be like, okay, no, we don't like give me the real answer here. I know you're trying to add time so that yeah. you can work at an easy pace, but we just don't have that luxury right now. Like yeah. they need to be the first ones to like put their foot down because if the producer then takes it up the chain, like, well, I guess this is right, nine weeks. And then the, they're snickering in the room like we got nine weeks until we get this asset done. I can do it in three <laughs> weeks. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I have worked with a really bad producer who basically interfered with what I was doing, and it almost like it was a power struggle, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't have been. Um, and I don't want to say too much because it'll it'll be a little bit more obvious where where and when this happened. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You don't have was, to say their was, names. And I was in a I was in a leadership role, but yeah. uh, it was not he was actively getting in the way of what I was doing and I had my own plan and the communication wasn't there on his end and uh, see how he did that communication wasn't there. on his end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just not good. Uh, so yeah, a bad producer can really make your life miserable. And uh, you were talking about where producers come from. What I've noticed is what I've noticed is uh, yeah. both – it seems like a lot of producers come from QA, and I've known some amazing producers. Uh, like one of the producers at Minecraft that I worked with – actually, he was a tester, QA, and uh, he went on to uh, produce Command & Conquer and then went on to start his own company, Liquid Entertainment, mm-hmm. and that's uh, Ed Del Castillo. Yeah. Always had great ideas, super Still brilliant no dude. <laughs> Yeah, that guy was a tester on one of my, uh, you know, all of our games, really. Oh, yeah. He tested for the company, Minecraft. And the guy had, like, all these brilliant ideas, and he, he, he sat with an artist and had him draw up all these guns and because he, he wasn't an artist himself. And that, like, that's determination right there. Mm-hmm. So we put all the guns in the game, and he had this great idea for the box cover, which we actually used and because uh, I was doing the box design, but, you know, loved the idea. And just the guy's just a natural designer, and I think sometimes you just have to test people, see how they do in a in a managerial role, and if they crash and burn, which Canon does happen, then you know maybe Ixnay and the manager may. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it's. I guess that was my biggest pet peeve was always. I felt bad when producers didn't come from the discipline that they were in, and that's a lesson even that's- I learned personally. You know, when I first started in production, I had never made a video game before. And so, man, people would lie to me and I'd have no idea that I was being told wrong information or that they, like, I had nothing to stand on, no experience, you know? Good point. Yeah, and, so. you know, that's the, and you guys mentioned it earlier. If you have an art director and you have leads, you already have two layers of management. Of course, yeah. you have the people above the art director yeah. and the people above, you know, programming lead, technical lead, whatever it is. Um, so you already have all the leads in place. And I think that is enough. The, I guess the good thing about producers is, you know, like you were mentioning, Larry, they do think about all the uh, the scheduling stuff that maybe you would rather not think about because mm-hmm. you're just trying to see your assets. So they sort of keep you on track, but producers have to walk a very fine line and uh, and just know their own limitations and just be cool. And a cool producer is very easy to work with. They're almost tra- they're almost transparent, and yet 
they help the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, a lot of times I'll order dinner, the AP will do that. Um, and they, they care, they take care of a lot of the little things that no particular person should or would do. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's always fun too. And then you learn to love your producer, you know, they're, they're your friends. <laughs> I mean, you're hitting a point where I, I definitely agree. I think the producers that I've worked with that I really, really liked are more like accommodating to the needs of the artist than demanding. <laughs> exactly. They're I, almost I mean, like an asset butler. Yeah. but that's the key thing right you gotta make the life of a developer a lot easier than exactly just yelling at them for for milestones you know nobody likes to hear that yeah don't yell at us don't try to make us feel like children and there's a lot of things that can go wrong um, you know, talk to us like grown adults, regardless of our our station at the game company. And oh. and uh, if we happen to be the AD, don't fire our artists without us knowing. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I will don't say this. I'm talking about that. I will say this in favor of Brandon's side of not liking production. One of the ways that I think that production has always just rubbed me the wrong way is the production team makes the schedule. When the schedule doesn't get lived up to, the production team yells at the people who they made the schedule for, not themselves for getting the schedule wrong or not having a better understanting of what everything was actually going to take to get made. It's always like, oh, man, it's their fault. They're not doing, you know. Maybe not always. Maybe not always. It's good to let production, you know. The content producers make their own schedules. You mentioned because we know how long things should take, mm. and yet, yeah, if we don't live up to it, we kind of made our own bed. So, yeah. you know, we have to. Sometimes we have to just crunch. You know, mm. the old c word. <laughs> well, one of them. One of <laughs> one that you can say at work. One of yeah, the the c word you can get company. away with. <laughs> the other one is obviously contract. We don't <laughs> we don't we don't say that word. <laughs> exactly, yeah, the worst c word. Crunch. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, uh, do you have any bad crunch stories there, Dan? Oh geez. Um, what was your worst one? They're all bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. The worst one. Ah, uh, we. I don't Minecraft. We had some bad ones, you know, because we were under strict deadlines because mm-hmm. of money issues, and we all knew about the money issues. Of course, you know, we're all getting paid. Hopefully, mm-hmm. so uh, money issues are very germane uh, to both us and the company. So. Yeah, man, that was tough. Overnighters sleeping in the hallway with a sleeping bag, uh, spiders falling on you with the game stock as you wake up bleary eyed, brushing your teeth, and then going to sit down and work and and uh, you know just feeling like you live there. You know that was crazy, but you know we got a lot done. And this was when I, you know, we were young people. Most I was going to say young men. We were mostly men. There are a few women too. Mm-hmm. Um, more women now, which is good. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was. Uh, so that was probably the worst crunch time. Minecraft. Did you guys? I mean, you didn't have Perforce back then. So, like, what was it like <laughs> with multiple developers working? You know, on the same project. I'm sure there had to have been some like, man, I wish Perforce existed now, but it didn't. What, what was? Oh my gosh. How did you guys Bobby get Christ. around it? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love talking about these stories. I yeah, love this is interesting. The dearth, the dearth of technology, right? Okay, yeah. so. No Wacom at first, right? And the Wacom you did get was beige, and you liked it. So no Perforce, no version control. 
uh, no SVN tortoise, uh, nothing like that. Basically, you ran your files with a floppy over to the programmer. You're like, here you go. Here's your 8K of assets. And because uh, we didn't even have a network early on. Mm-hmm. And Minecraft was like 91 to 93 for me. And no internet either. This is pre-internet. So uh, all three and a half inch floppies and we would trade assets, no version control. If you lost something, you simply lost it. Mm. You had to either do it again or hope you had a backup somewhere. Um, of course, you, had, you made judicious use of local backups. Um, but it's, it was very easy to lose a file. Of course, version control, uh, worth its weight in digital gold, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to have it now. And it does make the process a little bit more complicated. But, you know, you got to have it. So. Mm. So you were uh, you're mentioning about the the crunch time being pretty bad, but like you know, in the early days, a lot of young men didn't really know any different. You guys were passionate about the game industry, so you kind of went along with it. So when when the EA wife story came out, did that affect you guys in a big way, or was it just like, did you guys finally realize, oh, not everybody crunch, or or what? Well, EA was sort of a symptom more than a cause, right? And, and I'm not saying you're saying it was a cause, but in my mind, it was a symptom of the industry at the time where an EA especially was working people like crazy and, and wives and girlfriends were complaining and, and relationships were suffering and dogs getting pet a lot less and just everything. <laughs> you know, the old, you know, ball and chain, right? Your, your desk and you and you're, you're kind of stuck to it. I think I confused my expressions there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> You're chained to your desk, not ball and chain. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, three lashes for Dan here. <laughs> but yeah, so you're basically chained to your desk until you get your stuff done. And EA was sort of apparently abusing or exploiting their employees. And uh, yeah, what, I, what came to mind then is don't work for EA. And if I do, uh, signing bonus, giant salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, at least you go into negotiations knowing what's up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, EA nowadays, I'm sure it doesn't do that. I was just going to say, EA now, I actually hear great stories about them, that it's actually a really great place to work, and people are enjoying themselves. So you get hit with yeah. a lawsuit once, I'm sure you're like, F that, not again. Yeah, and of course, now that that stigma is out there or was out there, of course, yeah, the the, the pendulum swings far the other way. So yeah, good on EA for turning it around. Do you feel like the crunching... Of course, it's not as big as a problem, but you still think it's it's a problem within our industry? I think it's better. And a lot of companies, at least some companies that I work for, like, uh, I don't know how specifically I can speak, but some companies have the the philosophy of not crunching, work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's great. And producers do help with that if they can help you uh, with the schedule. Um, but yeah, if you do a solid eight hours and you're not goofing off, um, and a little goofing off's okay, you know, team building, whatever, depending on whether you're hourly or salary. And um, but yeah, if you're getting your stuff done, there shouldn't be too much crunching. And uh, crunching just it, you know, you guys know it burns you out, man. Yep. Especially when it's one game after another, and then you know, one company after another, and year after year, and you start getting older. And mm-hmm. and uh, not that I can't crunch today, but like. You know, after yeah. you've done it for so many years, you kind of don't want to do it as much, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah crunching is a young man's game, and I, I don't want to make fun of any protected classes. I'm just saying, <laughs> I notice myself. Saying? No, I'm serious. Yeah, I notice myself I'm... as I'm getting older, 
things outside of work are becoming incredibly important to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, of course. doing nothing is, like, it's so important. Doing nothing is paramount when you're yes. too tired of doing something. Yes. Amen. <laughs> and then you have kids, you know, people got to, you got to be there for your kids. Family. And, you know, people have lives, you yeah, know. Lives, yes. I guess. But yeah, when. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. When you're a young young man, young woman, you know you're pedaling furiously to get that albatross in the air, you know, and uh, and then you want to, you know, enjoy your life. I'm sorry, what were we saying? Larry? I was just simply going to say that, you know, when I was fresh out of college, getting my job in the game industry was the most important thing, and I would have done anything, you know, and so, but now you kind of you have your feet down, you're a little more stable, you're a little more wise, you know that you're a talented candidate, you know that there's going to be value for what you do. You know, you don't become, I guess, I don't want to say desperate, but just so like, I'll do anything, you know, so I don't know. I don't want to talk myself into a corner and people are like, oh, don't hire Larry because obviously he's checked out. It's not that. I'm just saying, you know, my work-life balance has just become a lot more important now than it ever was, you know, when I was younger and fresh in or fresh into the industry. Yeah. I I think it's human nature. Yeah. Go ahead, Brandon. But yeah, I mean, like you said, if you sign me up for eight hours of work, then I'm not going to crunch. I don't need to crunch because we're in agreement. If I need to work more, then that's usually managerial, uh, a managerial problem where they did not schedule correctly. And now that I'm older and been in the industry long enough to understand that, it's like it's 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 a tool for, for us to use. It's like, yo, why didn't you schedule it correctly? <laughs> I mean, it just exactly. comes to that. Eight hours is a lot of time to do anything yeah. within a day. So there's other countries that only work like, you know, 30 something hours a week, you know, I know. with health care. So, I mean, of course, well, you get it with your employer, but I'm saying like, um, you know, the other thing is uh, it's human nature, Larry, because as you get older and more confident, your skills grow. You don't need to crunch as yeah. much as you might might have when you were younger and more desperate. Every company knows this. It's not a secret that the younger, younger men, younger women are. You can pay them less. You can work them harder. And I, that actually is why it's so competitive because these people are willing to move anywhere. You know, you take a 20 year old kid person, young adult, Mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, you got to work in Timbuktu and you got to work 50 hours a week and we're going to pay you (laughs) almost nothing. They'll be like, I'll be there. We start at 7am. All right. Perfect. Uh, uh, the only bagels are when you're getting hit on the back of the head by the producer. (laughs) Okay. Got it. And then. Uh, you know, you take somebody who's 30, 40, 50, and they're like, um, yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, no, Renegotiate. It's, it's not going to yeah. work for me. <laughs> exactly. So that, no no knock against you or anyone else. It's just human nature to to change a little bit as you get older and have more confidence and Let's put up a blast. Healthy. I mean, you Absolutely. age, you want to get married and have kids and maintain a relationship of, of some kind. You're going to have to spend some time out of the office to do all those things. Yeah, because at a certain point, all that hard work you did has to pay off. But if you're still doing all that crazy crunching, what is it for, you know? Your heart is going to stop sitting there all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of all this work, it is 45 minutes into the podcast. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. I don't know about you guys, but I will be right back with more Game Dev Unchained, the podcast. Hey there, would you like to learn about making video games? Then you definitely need to check out GameSchoolOnline.com. It's the number one place to learn about video game development. We've got talented instructors who are currently industry professionals who are teaching classes and making tutorials to help you become a video game developer today. 
And that's right, we're back. The bills are paid. This is Larry Charles of the Game Dev Unchained Podcast. We are sitting here with Mr. Brandon Fam, our co-host, and of course, we still got Mr. Dan Burke because we locked the doors when he came in, so he's still ours. <laughs> Wait, are we crunching in the podcast? We are crunching in the podcast. <laughs> Wait a second. We are like crunching we in the podcast. Awesome. You signed the papers, you're ours now. <laughs> For the Woo-hoo. next 15 minutes, anything goes. Best so, contact ever. My question for you, Mr. Burke, yes. is how do I, the younger game developer, achieve a long career in the game development industry? You've seen it all. You know all the tips, tricks, and strategies. What are some things that I can do or look forward to doing to, I guess, increase my likelihood of making it past that five-year burnout mark? Oh, man. Well... The very first thing you should do is read Larry's book. Now, Larry, you did not ask me to do this, but I read your book, dude, Game Dev Unchained. It is freaking awesome. I loved it. And with all the things I've seen, whatever, done 27 years, I thought it was really good. And I wish I had read it, you know, many moons ago. Uh, Very good stuff. It totally feels like a setup. Even though it's not a setup. I I never told him to do this. No, he did not. This is the first thing (laughs) I heard of Larry's book. Tell me more. (laughs) Wait a second. Now, you can PayPal me at. Just kidding. Um, Well, look. look, Thank you very much. That was a very nice uh, recommendation. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Of course, man. And and as far as longevity, have fun, you know, uh, avoid those bad producers. No, I'm just kidding. Just have fun, make friends. You're going to make friends anyway. Uh, pick your battles, you know, uh, cause sometimes you just have to resolve your own issues. And uh, I'm not talking about a horse head in a bed or anything like that. We're just talking about, you know, try to make management, manage, management's life easier unless you are the manager. And the thing is, and actually I've kind of been on both sides of management as of late, and I learned a lot um, coming up about what to do and what not to do. So the bad managers or producers made me a better manager, too. So, you know, just learn from everything. Look at it all as a learning experience. Uh, as I said, have fun. Be proud of your work. Do your best work so you don't look back and say, what the hell? Ray 2020? You know, I got to talk about Ray 2020 now, you know, and people slamming it. And, you know, I was 20 years old, my first game, whatever. And just... Do your best, you know. Do a good job. Well, like, 27 years in the industry, you know how many game developers died? I mean, was born and died <laughs> during that time? Like, just oh an gosh. idea. Like, I'm sure, like, percentage-wise, if you can give us an estimate, of the people that you started out with, I mean, how, mu- how, how many of them are still in the industry or doing something else? That's a good question. Um, one of the people I met, I, a, lot, a lot of them have moved on. A lot of them stayed in. Uh, one of the people I met very early on, a uh, young kid, Mark Soderwall, 17. I met him at Color Dreams. Um, he started super young. I was 20 when I started. He was 17, so that's good. He's still doing it. He's art directing. Like, you know, I think he started an online school or something. So he's jamming, doing a great. And sometimes we'll connect, you know. My brother, um, I helped my brother get into Minecraft, and he had, of course, he had an entrepreneurial degree from USC, and he would have done well anyway, but I was sort of in first. I helped him get in. He's still doing it. Um, He's at NVIDIA now and uh, loving it. So um, a lot of people I know are still in it. Rob Bonifacio, uh, still doing it. And actually, funny story, I played Rob's games before I ever got into the industry. Cosme, that's an old company. I don't know if you guys will remember that name. And uh, and then, of course, I worked with him on stuff. And then Bob Pilaro was uh, work. He worked on the original Atari Defender for the console. Oh wow! And 
and I played the hell out of that. I had to crawl through swords at my bored friend's house. <laughs> He's like a, my bored rich friend, you know, like he would set up these elaborate games, you know, and so I had to actually crawl through a cardboard maze with swords in it to play that game. And then I told him that story when I worked with him later. And But a, a lot of people are still in it, you know, and you meet a lot of people along the way. So it's fun. It's awesome. I mean, I wonder if that is just because um, I'm sure you hear a lot of the burnout thing that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I feel I think that mostly has to do with the AAA thing. If I were the to AAA look. thing is is crazy now, man. It's like, as you guys know, it's like make, making a major motion picture, huge budgets, big giant teams, um, and I think just long, long, long death cycles can burn people out, especially with crunch time. Um, there's something to be said for short dev cycles and simpler games having a a positive effect on morale. You know, uh, what do you guys think about that as it affects uh, morale and burnout? Well. The thing is, too much crunch is not going to help your game get any better. <laughs> Let's be real. You have people who are showing up, showing up to work very tired, very exhausted, not really wanting to talk, who are just trying to burn through assets, burn through designs, burn through engineering or bugs or fixes. And it's, it's just a miserable experience when there's no sign of, like, hope. You know, like, if I had to crunch, no matter what, I would at least need one day a week off. Like, I can't. When you said seven days a week, 12 hours a day, that would just drive me crazy because there's so many things that happen in your life that you just need time to go take care of that you can't if you get home every day at like nine, ten o'clock and you have no Absolutely. regular business hour days to handle shit. And there was no online anything, yeah. you know, so oh I couldn't like order socks on the Internet. It was like, oh, great. I get all the stores are closed again, you know. And you just have crickets chirping as you go into your sad, lonely apartment yeah, that isn't no. furnished because you have no time. Yeah, no, I can't do it, man. I'm sorry. I don't care how cool the game is or what company it is. If they ever have to have me work seven days a week straight for <laughs> like a whole month, like, no, forget it. Maybe one yeah. week I can get through it, but I need a day off to handle like real life shit. I'm by myself. It's just me. Nobody yeah. works for me. Nobody does my laundry. Nobody handles my stuff. It's just me. So like, how can I work? Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, thank you, Dan. <laughs> Whoa, there you go. Too personal, man. <laughs> about to start. You just ask a simple yeah. question, man. I'm gonna have my Trey Boys in the Hood moment where he just starts swinging in the air. <laughs> the two-word but, answer to the meal is uh, top ramen. Oh, top ramen. <laughs> I mean, I do feel. I always picture when you're when the, you're a game developer crunching all the time. I always see that like that. That that meme, or, or that you, you know, you're you're this huge crowd in in the city or whatever, and that that person is still lonely, right? So I really do feel that that's in a nutshell what the AAA company is kind of doing to the developer. It's like you're excluding them from outside stuff already, yeah. right? And then you you the jobs are so specialized, right? Where you feel mm-hmm. like you're, well, I mean, you are sitting next to your replacements <laughs> where yeah, 10 people totally. literally can step in and do that one thing because it's so, you know, manufactured, like a, you're, you're in a line pretty much. Right. So, oh, man. And, and millions more banging on the doors, willing to move in a second out of oh, state, yeah. Yeah. out of country to come to where you are, sit on your uh, chair and do your work. Yeah. And, oh, you don't uh, crunch Larry. Oh, you have all <laughs> the time in the world to crunch. You're fired. Uh, all right. yeah. But yeah, you'll, you'll literally meet your 20 year old self. Eventually, <laughs> and, 
And, and that's the thing is like, we'll find another assistant lighting artist. Like, oh, I'm already doing lighting all day. I act like I like it, but I really don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want a model. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, no, no, nothing against all the people that love lighting all day. It's just you mentioned the special specialties and I just can't do that, man. I, I cut, cut my teeth as a generalist when I learned 3D and uh, took me, you know, the, actually the 2D to 3D transition was scary as hell. Let me tell you that. We haven't had anything quite like that since that time other than ZBrush. ZBrush kind of shook the world yeah. uh, for artists. Um, and it, it continues to do so as it changes the workflow. Like, what? I don't need Topogun anymore? What? Maybe I do. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so over-specialization, people pounding on the door to get in every single year, new, new graduates coming up, uh, willing to work for nothing to do what we did when we were younger. And, and, uh, it, and so it goes. And actually, when you get older, I think it can be more difficult sometimes to get a job because you're still competing with people who don't completely suck. Mm-hmm. And they're going to work for half of what you make, maybe. And and there's a perception, maybe, that they'll work harder, although I don't think that's necessarily the case because a lot of times you get a lot of discipline as you get older and uh, or you become a lot more disciplined and you make all your mistakes when you're younger, or you're even tempered when you're older, whatever it is. So I think there's some age discrimination, maybe, uh, at this age. It just depends on who's hiring. The funniest thing I encountered was uh, a company for the very the very first time I saw a company asking for artists that had a degree, mm. like requiring it. And this wow. is the first time I've ever seen that. And of course, everyone that has has a degree is going to be like, "Yeah, man!" But uh, I'm Let's glad go I got that uh, yeah. that philosophy degree. <laughs> um, but the thing is, like, as an artist, you shouldn't need a degree because your degree is your portfolio, like what you can yeah. show, what you can do, yeah. and uh, plus your track history. Like, if you've been in the business as long as I have. Like, I don't need a degree. Let's just yeah. face it. I, just, I don't, the degree's not going to teach me anything I can't learn or don't already know or I couldn't teach myself. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds arrogant to say that, but it's not. It's just a fact. And, um, you know, you know, Brandon, art is just very visual. It's unlike almost anything else. As a programmer, you have to show that you have a degree. Because, yeah, programmers uh, definitely. You have to. Maybe but I feel tough. like whoever wrote that description probably isn't Producer. an artist. <laughs> I guarantee you a producer or HR person wrote that as <laughs> Because I never see that. I, I would never, I don't expect the game industry suddenly requiring degrees from all companies because mm-hmm. artists knows that if you produce art, you are hireable. <laughs> and that's yeah, all we and, care about. And as an art director, I sort of practice, you know, because I have two and a half years experience now as an art director. And I am, you know, looking for, uh, I have a, a gig right now, freelance, but eventually I want to get, another art director job and keep going with that. But um, I practice what I preach. Like I don't, well, testing is another thing, but I don't, I haven't needed to give someone a test because I can see with my eyes, their skill oh, okay. level yeah, yeah, Even yeah. on a cat. And I need a cat. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the lack of imagination to say, well, I need to see a cat because you have no cat on your portfolio. <laughs> so I'm just like, wow, you do a great dog. I think that'll translate well to a cat. Just make it look like a cat for favor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't need to see a degree because no degree is going to tell me what I can't see very well with my own eyes, along with company history and whatnot. Um, And that's true with a new artist, veteran artist. If I see a new artist, I can kind of see how good they are uh, with or without a degree. And of course, it's a sensitive spot because I never had a degree. I I was actually in the process of getting my two-year to transfer to a four-year 
before there was any kind of game design or game art degree. And uh, I just started when I was 20, right out of community college. So, and I just, it's just hard work. And, and the thing about learning is to learn something, obviously you don't need a degree for that. You, you, in this business, you have to learn all the time and you have to love it. Otherwise you're going to sink, you know, and you guys know that. Um, every year there's something new, there's a new utility, there's a new plugin, there's a new completely revolutionary tool and it just keeps changing and you just got to stay on top of it. And, and if you're not someone who loves learning before you set foot in college, yeah, you're not going to do well with a degree anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the art test. So this is, yeah, this is an episode on upon itself, but we'll, we'll touch on it a little. I have a certain feeling when it comes to tests that uh, it's definitely appropriate when it it's reserved for students or who doesn't have a track record or something who's untested. But like uh, nothing really? angries me more <laughs> than oh having a test. We're birds of a feather here, Brandon. I, I know <laughs> we're going to agree mightily on this. And I wrote a whole LinkedIn treatise on this. I don't want to say rant. Uh-huh. It was a treatise. But so you, you're saying for the pros or the established people like yourself, lead environment artists, you don't need a test. You've been a lead already, first of all. Why would you need a test? Like, what are they going to learn from the test? Wasting four days of your time or five days for no pay. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. the thing. If you're going to ask someone to test, and uh, first of all, now I'm getting, you know, okay. <laughs> first of all, as a freelancer, you already have a gaggle of clients that you're, you're, that you have them going at once, like you're spitting plates already. And then they throw a test on you unpaid. And now you have an extra pressure you don't, you don't normally have at work because you're doing two jobs. You're doing your freelance job to pay the bill, bills and you're doing the test to satisfy someone that doesn't believe you, essentially doesn't believe you and your, you know, 10, 20 years of experience that you have that you can do whatever it is that they need. So yeah, for a new person, I think a test is appropriate and it makes sense because they don't have the portfolio yet. Maybe they just graduated. Maybe they, yeah, okay, I graduated from uh, uh, full sale, but I don't really have a lot. Sure. Give them a test. They're young. They should expect to do that anyway. But I, I think you don't need to give people a test in most cases and uh, a test singular. And if you do, pay them, right? Yeah. That's a difference, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's a failing of the art director. And like I said, having been an art director for almost three years now, I've never given a test. I've never been wrong about what I thought the person could do. And that sounds completely arrogant, but it's 100% true. And if it wasn't, you know, I, I would tell you because there's a little, little case study experiment here. But I've just never been wrong because an artist knows these things. And a, and a good art director, you can you can see the talent and what they can do, uh, even if you extrapolate that to something else. Larry, do you want to talk on from the design front? Uh, <laughs> design is kind of different. Yeah, that's a trickier wicket because well, it's, it's – uh, Because, More you abstract. know, somebody can come up with a great design test and then you're just not feeling it because you feel like you're entertained by different things. And so you may not credit that person for being a great designer or vice versa. Somebody may just hit a note with you where you're like, wow, this is a great, I love this test. And they resonate with you. And then you bring on a clone of yourself versus adding some real diversity to your design team because they have shown brilliance in other areas. Uh, But I I feel like that kind of relates to art as well. But at least art, you kind of have something in front of you where you're like, you can just look at it and just kind of do that. Yeah, yeah, because there is sight and feel to it but design is like all feel you know there's not you're not just going to be like yes i can clearly see that this is a a fantastic level i have to play it to know that it's not just great looking art 
You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I don't know. I still like design tests. I don't mind if people ask me for design tests because I look forward to having an opportunity to, you know, show what I've got. But I will say at this stage of my career, especially since all my job opportunities are coming when I have a job or like people are like headhunting you and they're like, hey, and you're like interested and you talk to them and they're like, okay, do this design test. And you're like, are you shitting me right now? Yeah, that's like the worst type of test. (laughs) I'm working yeah, already. Like, <laughs> why do I need to do the test? Just send me an offer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there are times when I don't mind doing it if, if it's slow mm-hmm. and whatever. And, you know, I'm in a, in a situation where I'm more willing to do it. Sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. But uh, there are times when you're just like, I can't do it. I got too much freelance. And, mm-hmm. you know, and once they give you the test, you're on the you're on the clock. Yep. And I actually had two tests in one week once and it was terrible. Yeah, oh, that's, I wish the game industry would allow. So I had a bad experience with, uh, I don't even know if I should call it disastrous or not because I actually never heard anything back, but I, I was doing a design test for uh, Sony Santa Monica at this time mm-hmm. and I was working at sledgehammer games. Now this was the like bad part of sledgehammer for me. So I was working as a bouncer. I was working as an art teacher or a level design teacher, both part-time jobs that were almost 20 hours worth of my week, and then a full-time job in Crunch for Call of Duty what? Advanced Warfare. So those are my three jobs, because living in San Francisco is expensive. That's true. So, Holy crap. I was, I'm not going to lie, I was trying to get out of the situation that I was in, and I got yeah. a bite with Sony Santa Monica, and they wanted me to do a test, but how they sent me the test, and the email was like, hey, do this test, it starts today, and you have a week. And I'm just like, <laughs> give me some warning give me a countdown at least or like yeah, a, you man, know i i wish i would have asked him like look can i just reschedule this to when i have time so inexperienced i was like oh shit man i have to find some time to do this test so like one day out of my week that week i didn't have to go to one of my other jobs i had sledgehammer and then that was it one day that week so that night i had like six hours and oh so gosh. i tried to bust out a week's worth of design test in six hours <laughs> Well, that's and, a, yeah, that's exactly yeah. that's the problem with our test. It yeah. doesn't simulate a real environment where right. you're comfortable and you have time mm-hmm. put aside and you're not like it's most tests are within like the time that everyone's sleeping mm-hmm. and you're barely keeping your eyes open, your brain isn't functioning the way it should be. I don't know, it, it feels inappropriate, at least the way we do tests. Yeah. It's like at least either pay them. Or look yeah. at my portfolio that has the same exact asset that you're asking yeah. for. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's the thing. Pay them well. Pay them like you would pay someone that works for you. Because here's the thing. If you hire them and it doesn't work out and that does happen, that's going to cost you money, especially if there's a reload involved yeah. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you pay them fairly for that four-day test, which could be smaller, but they make it so massive, um, you know, probably because uh, an asset will take three to four days. I get that. But pay them fairly for that time. They can clear out all other freelance. They're comfortable. Nothing is easier in my mind than just working full time because there's no other competition. There's no freelance happening, you know, because you can clear out your schedule as much as you want. And it's it's way easier than trying to do freelance and a test that's unpaid. Yeah. So people keep that in mind, although the good companies admittedly will let you decide when you take the test. Uh, and, and that's cool. Um, and then they're like, okay, so once you start, you're going great. Then you get to pick it at least, you know, crossover on a weekend or something. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like everything can be taken care of with a portfolio and a phone call to yeah. <laughs> a referral. It's yes. like, 
oh, you're his lead. Oh, how does he <laughs> operate at work? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, let me stop you there because that's never going to happen. <laughs> Who's well, that? I mean, previous leads, previous leads. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Not your current lead. <laughs> I was and they say. can only... <laughs> They can only say so much over the phone. They they can. I don't think they can ask a whole lot other than did this person work here from this time to that time. I don't know. Questions. I think they're a little restricted. Although I think informally this does happen. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I think a phone interview you can tell a lot because you could say, well, why did you do this or why don't you have that? Mm-hmm. And you know, my I know my portfolio. I don't have a lot of real time realism just because I enjoy doing fantasy stuff. So that's what I tend to do. But, you know, if I had to sit down and map a human face, you know, that's it's all academic. You're just doing different stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think all of us are well aware of any holes that we might have, if any. Yeah. Well, you know what? All of those learning experiences and much like that test with Sony Santa Monica, like I, it burns me to this day that I never said, hey, guys, look, I know you sent me the test. I know that I could see it now and cheat. Please just yeah. understand that I just I just want to reschedule it. But anyway, if you're listening to the podcast, if you're too busy for your test, email them immediately, explain yeah. the situation, and then just say, "Look, I need I need a different time or I need something else." You would much rather do that than lose the opportunity to get that job, especially if you think you could have nailed it if you were in a better circumstance. Or yeah, don't send them a receipt for how <laughs> For how much the test would take. Dude, yes. That would be so awesome. Oh. I heard, I heard about a guy who refused outright to do a test and they still hired him. This was oh, like Rock nice. Canada. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get to that point where I, I can be like, look, bitch, I'm not no, I'm just I won't leave with that. But I'll be like, uh, no, I'm not doing your test. Just send me an offer letter. See ya. Yeah. But you gotta be really good, really confident to do that. I don't, you know. I, think, I don't know. You got to play that nicely. I well, think they would have to be recruiting you, like have heard of you and right. are trying to seek you. You would have yes. to at least be senior level or better. Yeah. And you would have to be working on something that they knew was like coming into like the crunch kick ass months. Yeah. I could see that repeating in those situations. Well, if anything, yeah. they'll, they'll make you noticeable among all the other people that apply. Yeah. It's like, this. who is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> Our test and you know. Let me tell you guys about cover letters. I have experimented with silly cover letters in the past because mm. everyone says I would be an asset to your company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, form letter stuff that you learn and, you know, how to write a cover letter 101. Everyone's doing the same thing. But if you mix it up, you get a little silly, be a little irreverent. You know, people will re- – this is the game industry. We're all freaks and geeks, right? People will respond to that oftentimes. I, I applied to shiny ones and – and I, I think I already had a job lined up or the prospects were pretty good. So I got a little silly in my cover letter. I'm like, I like shiny things, shiny things. Interesting. You know, I was, I was being silly, you know, but not overly silly. I was still talking about my, my qualifications and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I got a response, you know, yeah. and then you write this serious cover letter, you know, like I will die for you. It's like crickets. Uh, Speaking of which, like, for that, yeah. I hate when companies don't respond, right? Like mm. I think companies, especially if you do a test, first of all, if you do a test, they should respond. Mm. They should let you know, let you know how you did. And even if they don't hire you, they should give you some kind of feedback and they should let you use it on your portfolio. Mm. Yeah. And I've heard about too many artists that did a test and after the fact, the company said, and I won't name names here necessarily, uh, but they said, you can't use it on your portfolio. And oh my God, <laughs> don't get me started. 
is okay. mine. <laughs> I, I do want to jump in on this, and I will just only say this. I definitely agree 100% that there should be some sort of, hey, even if you fail, like, hey, you know what? Thank you very much for your interest. Thanks for taking the time to do this test. We appreciate it. But, you know, we're going to look for other candidates. Because sure. they just asked you to give up all this time out of your schedule to try to show them that you can help their company out. And if you just, like, diss them like that, that person is going to be sour. In the, and so they're going to have that oh, yeah. move forward. Like, oh, screw them. Like, you're creating enemies in a sense. When you, yeah, you, and they're going to talk. Exactly, exactly. Like we are. Yes, yeah, the least Absolutely. they can do is have the freaking secretary send an email and say, <laughs> you know, uh, but then uh, the next thing I was going to say is I understand why they probably don't want people to just drop it on the portfolio because then you'll probably be like, oh, here was my test for Shiny. And then okay. someone will be like, yeah. ah, so Shiny's doing the whale on a beach with a hut that got blown up. <laughs> okay, but cool. that's the thing. It's like cool. if someone has the ability to recreate that test, like, mm-hmm. there you go. There's your stupid test. Like That's they, true, though. That's it's true. Like, what's the scary part of it's not cheating, right? You still have to produce well, the it, techniques and stuff. It gives you a leg up, but like it, it, it kind of is cheating. Up. It kind of is cheating. It's like saying we're gonna give Dan one hour to make an asset, yeah. and then Brandon, you get however much time you want, and then you show us the same asset, and we're like, wow, Brandon's asset looks way better than Dan's. Yeah, yeah. No, I That's understand from that point, but I, I'm saying like at the, from the very beginning of what yeah. a test is, yeah. right? It's supposed to show the skills and yeah. your ability to uh, to produce, right? So all this other crap behind it doesn't really matter if you can produce it. It's like, oh, man, looks like you are able to do this. Uh, I can't <laughs> hire you. <laughs> because In Brandon's defense, every game that that company is known for is out yeah. there, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's like, if it's like Ratchet and Clank and they want that style, you know you're going to get something along in that style or one of their games or a Blizzard game yeah. or, uh, yeah. you know. I'll give you that. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 both of you made great points there, and uh, some companies do let you publish the test as long as you don't say it's a test, mm-hmm. and that's cool. I think maybe that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. You can just say it's fan art. I just love, I love this character so much. Here it is. Um, so that's cool, and both of you have good points. I guess if you can do it, you can do it. But you had, like Larry said, you had more time to think about it if you're sleuthing around and knowing that hey, that's a test for uh, EA or whatever. Um, of course, they can always mix up the test, but that takes a little effort, too. Um, maybe they should just not do as many tests, and they can just test the newer people yeah. <laughs> or pay people, you know. Or how about this? Come up with something on your own in our universe, right? Yeah, that would be much better. Yeah, like, look at this game. This is the game we need you for, Call of Duty, whatever. Mm-hmm. Make something in the Call of Duty universe. This is your own test. You have four days. We're going to pay you 500 bucks or whatever it is. Go. Well, the mindset of working on your own art is completely different than doing a test for someone that you cannot use in your portfolio. Like, if you told an artist, like, hey, build something in our universe, you can do whatever you want with it. It's a different mindset, completely. It's like, oh, do something for us for five days and five nights, and you can't (laughs) use it because (laughs) we said Right. And here's another thing. Do you guys work well when you're not being paid after all this time and all this experience you have? Because I don't. Like I, the whole time, I'm thinking eh, I can't use it, and I'm getting, not getting paid. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, other yeah. stuff, and I got to yeah. pay this bill, and I'm not getting paid for it. It just pisses me off, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm used to getting paid for stuff, and that's not the only reason I work. But none of us do this for charity. Yeah. Like we would probably do stuff related to this for free if we could, and and we did coming up. Like, and that's the thing people forget. Coming up, everyone does it for free because that's what you do before you get your first job. 
And as an artist, as a designer, you you know, you have a design brain, you have an artist brain, sometimes both. But uh, but you got to pay people for their time or really see if your art director can do it without the test. And I think a lot of art directors, if they have a good sense of art, can do it without a test for the uh, especially for the more established peeps. Well, uh, I know the conversation is going and it's kicking ass right now. But Mr. Burke, we promised that at the end of the episode, we would turn over the microphone to you and let you broadcast or shout out or plug anything that you're working on or developing right now that you're excited about. And it is that time. We are way over this week, but that's completely fine because this is an awesome conversation. So, Dan, with all due respect, the audience is yours, my friend. Tell them what you're working on. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm doing a really cool freelance project. Uh, can't say who the client is, but uh, it, it's a it's a good client. And uh, and you know, just working on my port. I'm always working on the portfolio. Um, you know, learning renderers and and just trying to fill holes there. And uh, you guys can check out my site if you want. Art.nucleon with a K, N U K L E O N dot com. Feel free to check that out if you like. Give me feedback if you want. Um, what else? Just, you know, doing my moto blogger thing on YouTube. Got about almost 25,000 subscribers, which normally I don't talk about that with work people because <laughs> <laughs> then I won't, you know, go into too much detail there because, you know, that's a whole, like I do rants there and I'll curse and that's not necessarily something I want employers to see. Which is why everyone's googling it, googling it right now. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's a fun vocation, and you know, as a writer, Larry, you understand as a vlogger yourself too. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very edifying. Um, what else? You know, just just hanging in there. You know, doing my thing. And thanks for the invite to the podcast. Oh, man, we're more than happy to have you on the podcast. we got to bring you back because I feel like there's more stories and topics that you would be great for, man. We'll take you. Yeah, I'd love like to come back. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Just let me know and let me know the topic. and uh, Or you can make it like a test and just spring it on me at the last second. <laughs> <laughs> the topic is our test. Go, you have a week. <laughs> no, One hour to do this podcast right now. <laughs> we need a four-hour stand-up routine. <laughs> and go now. So, All right, But yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. And oh, hey, look at this microphone here that's in my hand. I'm Larry Charles. Thank you very much for listening to Game Dev. Un- uh, all right, bye. <laughs> this is Brandon Fallon. I'll see you guys next week. All right, see you guys. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.